0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Crazy Money. This is your host, Paul Ollinger. I'm happy you're here. I hope the sun is shining wherever you are, hopefully from the sky, but at least in your head and in your heart, hopefully in all three. Hopefully you get the trifecta of sunniness. That's what it is, the trifecta of sunniness. I've got a very interesting and fun conversation for you today with my new friend, Tess Vigland. You may very well recognize Tess's voice, as she spent two decades on the public radio airwaves, including many years as the anchor of the nationally syndicated business show, Marketplace. This is Marketplace. Tess and I have in common the experience of quitting our very good jobs to try to reshape our working lives. And we discuss how that goes down, (laughs) for better and for worse, and how complicated the whole experience can be. We recorded our chat last week, and as I was going back to listen to it today, I quality assure every episode of Crazy Money before it goes out. As I was listening to it again today, it reminded me of a little anecdote from my early post-Facebook life, which I will share with you in three, two, one. Okay, here we are, we're back. So about a year after leaving Facebook, a year which I had spent decompressing from the corporate world by working out, playing golf, spending time with my kids and traveling a bit with my wife. One night we go to dinner with this very attractive couple we had just met through our kids. Our kids went to school together, is what I'm trying to say. And we go to dinner with this very attractive couple and all I know about them is that they're both doctors. And I'm talking to the dad, down at my end of the table. And after we covered the requisite questions around what our kids were up to and all that, I said, so what kind of medicine do you practice? And he replies with a response I'll never forget. And he says, well, I'm a pediatric oncologist and neurosurgeon. And at this very prestigious hospital in town, he said, I'm also doing research at a very prestigious research institution. I'm doing research using nanofibers to see if we can slow the spread of cancer in the brains of infants. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's a good answer, man. (laughs) He kind of just brushes me off with this, you know, like, ah, no big deal. No big deal. I'm just, I'm just Superman. I'm just a baby saving Superman. Don't worry about it. And in a well-practiced effort to take the attention off of himself, he turns around, looks at me and says, so Paul, what do you do? And after, uh, one might say, wasting a year of my life doing nothing, he stumped me. I was like, "Uh, what do I do? Let's see, what do do I do? (laughs) And I was like, I didn't know what to say. And so I came back to him with like, uh, I'm a blogger. I blog sometimes, you know. Sometimes I blog, sometimes I write funny stuff on the internet. Not all the time, but I'm not even committed to that. And in that moment, I was filled with shame, buckets and buckets of shame, even greater than that of the typical 42 year old Catholic who is all shame and guilt ridden from 12 years of Catholic school. And I realized in that moment that I didn't know what I did, I was stumped. For my entire life, I'd kind of loved answering that question because I always had a good answer. You know, it was like, well, I'm getting my MBA at Dartmouth or I'm working at Yahoo or Facebook or I'm doing stand up comedy out in LA. I was into the question. But here I was where I had won this lottery. And in so doing, I had lost the answer to the question that kind of defined me. And we get very quickly from what do you do to who the hell are you? And that's a lot of what we discussed today on Crazy Money with my new pal, Tess Vigeland. In reading someone's introduction, I am more or less playing the game of answering the question, what do you do, except I'm telling you, what does she do? And I wanna start by telling you that Tess Vigeland is a person, she's a human being, a multifaceted human being who is a photographer, a volunteer, and a thrower of dinner parties. On the professional side of her resume, I'll tell you that she is the author of a very interesting book about her experiences leaving public radio. It's called Leap leaving a job with no plan B to find the career and life you really want. Prior to that, Tess spent 20 years in public radio, several of which she spent as an anchor of the nationally syndicated business show Marketplace, Marketplace, and as host of Marketplace Money. She's a recipient of both a Gracie Award for Best Host Anchor and a National Edward R. Murrow Award. She's also a contributing writer at the New York Times, The Guardian, and Forbes. Did I mention she's a photographer, volunteer, and thrower of dinner parties? She's all those things. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Tess Viglin.
1: If you're in a job that's requiring you to work 100 hours a week, well, then you should leave. That is not a life. You get one shot at this thing that is life. We've all seen those quotes from people who are on their deathbeds. The things that they talk about are not what they did for work. I think it's really important to remember that and follow through on that and act on it.
0: My name is Paul Olinger. I'm a stand-up comedian with a background in the corporate world. I hit the lottery when I worked at a small company called Facebook. I'm fascinated with money, why we're so obsessed with it, and how it makes us happy or not. Welcome to Crazy Money. Tess Figland, welcome to Crazy Money.
1: Thanks, Paul. Delighted to be here.
0: Thank you. Well, let's go back in time about seven or eight years. You had a very good job as the host of Public Radio's business program, Marketplace. Solid pay, high status in a field where very few get a chance to work at that level, but you decided to pull the ripcord. What were you thinking? I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) You've had seven years to think about it, Tess. I know. You wrote a book about it.
1: (laughs) No, I mean, when I look back on... The actual moment that I made that decision, you know, people have asked me to describe it and I can't really because it was very much a gut instinct decision. And it's funny because I've never been one to live by my gut. That has changed a lot in the intervening seven years. But at the time, I made a really kind of rash decision to leave my dream job. Job that I had wanted from the time I began my career. I, I attained a, my career goal at a very early age and really thought I would die at that particular microphone.
0: <laughs> you started right out of college, right? With the I your, did. in radio.
1: Yeah, I got a public radio internship after my freshman year in college and just fell in love with it immediately. They put me on the air on my second day of my internship. Wow. And so I fell in love with it. And, you know, I was one of those really fortunate people who you know, got the job that they were meant to do right out of the gate and loved it every minute of it, loved the audience interaction, loved being able to go to places and talk to people that nobody else gets to do. And I just really loved the process of reporting and interviewing and then delivering the news. But there came a point in 2012 where I felt like I was not being respected by my employer. And after 11 years at that employer, I was like, I'm going home crying way too often for (laughs) an adult woman and I have to leave.
0: And as you think back on it, and I don't want to get too much into the whys and wheres and hows of you leaving, because that's not really what this book is about or even what the show is about. But as you think back on it, would you have taken a different tack on addressing that problem?
1: No, actually, I wouldn't. Because I had tried to address it multiple times uh, to no avail. And it's not like I basically went into work and said, I'm out of here. Goodbye. I gave him three months notice. So, you know, I conducted myself as an adult, as we all should. But I'm glad it happened the way it did because I did something that was very unexpected of me, which is that I left without having anything else lined up. Now, when I gave my notice, like I said, I gave three months and I was like, oh, I'll find something, you know, I have three months. Well, it turned out to be the busiest three months of my entire career. So I, in fact, did not have time to go and find that next opportunity. And that's just, you know, I hosted a personal finance show. I had literally told our audience over and over not to do the thing that I just <laughs> did. Like, but- do not ever leave your job without having something else lined up. It's just, that's not what we do, right? Right. But I did it that way, and I look back now, and I'm so glad I did. Now, not everyone can, and I'm sure we'll talk about that, but it worked out for me, and it gave me a confidence in myself and my ability to function outside of like normal employment that has benefited me to this day. In what way? Because being without kind of the normal eight to five, nine to five, or, you know, for me, it was all kinds of weird hours because I was in the news. But, right. you know, being without that traditional form of a job job, right? You have an employer, you have a 401k, you, have a, you know, you have a paycheck, et cetera, et cetera. Being without that forced me to recognize the skills that I had that were beyond kind of the obvious things. You know, we all know what we do really well in our workplaces, but we don't think about the things that we become so good at because we do them for so long that we fail to recognize them as skills. So for me, an example would be just plain being able to talk to people, right? right? I mean, this is not something that everyone is good at, but I had honed that skill over almost 25 years. And so going out then to events where I might meet people uh, was easier for me because I'd been interviewing people for my entire career. But it wasn't something that I thought about as a skill because it was just part of my DNA. So that point of time where I was figuring out kind of what to do after I left my employer, that was really valuable for me to recognize and realize that I was valuable outside of what I was doing on a day-to-day basis.
0: So let's talk about that. So you give three months notice, but at a certain point, your job is over. You pack up your desk and your potted plant and you put it in a box and you carry it out of there. That's Friday. What happens on Monday?
1: Oh, freak out. (laughs) (laughs) we had a good weekend that's
0: what (laughs) you had a great weekend i had a big party on
1: saturday night it was fantastic (laughs) i did i had like almost a retirement party only i was 40 43 or Mm -hmm. so at the time Mm -hmm. but no it actually took a little longer for the freak out because uh my last day was the friday before thanksgiving of that year Mm -hmm. so you know i was busy with family and dealing with the dinner and all that so it wasn't until the monday after thanksgiving where i all of a sudden was like, oh, I don't have anything to do today. Mm-hmm. And it's not like I'm on vacation, so this is not a good thing. And I went into you know, a spiral of self-pity and probably depression and wondering if I had made the greatest mistake <laughs> of my life. And I continued to ask myself that question for a really, really long time. And the intervening few months were really very much a roller coaster of, you know, I would get a a freelance gig and I'd feel like, oh, this is great. You know, I I can function on my own and I can get business and I can make money. And then that gig would end and I'd be like, uh oh, I'm never going to work again. Right. And then I get a gig and I'd be like, oh, everybody loves me. This is fantastic. And Mm. then I would end that and I'd be like, oh, no no one is ever going to want to work with me again like it's this right. crazy roller coaster that you go on and that is not comfortable
0: well you have this crazy as i was saying to you just before we started talking on air that or on recording we're not on air test you know about on air this is air <laughs> This is just a podcast. Okay. We're not even here. I can We're not do either one. This is, I'm not even sure this is just a whole as a simulation. <laughs> you know, as I was reading your book Leap, which we'll talk about in great detail, I found myself relating to your career arc or your anti career arc, where I had right. great high status job, stupid incredible compensation at the hottest company in the world. I got frustrated about a couple of things that, in retrospect, don't matter at all, and I bailed right. on my job. And I had an incredible six months, but at a certain point, the question went from, what do I do today to who am I? How long did it take you to get to that question?
1: Oh, it was quick. And let me backtrack for a minute and say that I was in public radio but even at the top of my industry, I never made stupid money. And I wish I had. Hmm. That would have made things a lot easier (laughs) like you. It would have made
0: certain (laughs) things easier. And the existential question might've taken a little bit longer to get to.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. But, but I certainly did get there. And that is really, you know, that's what I talk a lot about with people who are curious about this, this process that I went through and that clearly you went through as well, which is that very quickly it does become not a, Oh my God, what am I going to do today? But who am I now? For me, because I had had this swank, awesome job where you know I'd go to dinner parties and I'd be able to say, you know, oh yeah, I know, you know, Scott Simon and Robert mm. Siegel and all these, you know, Susan Stamberg and all these people at NPR. And in fact, you know, I was fed of one of them, and I'd be able to talk about the latest story that I reported on, and it was great. And I didn't realize throughout my career how much I chained my identity to all of that, my identity of who I was as a person. Yeah. And I think we do that a lot, particularly in America, particularly in the West, where we we are what we do for a living. Absolutely. And so the existential thing that happens when you leave that thing is you're like, well, what am I worth now? Yeah. And, you know, my question to myself was, you know, I I used to be Marketplace's Tess Vigland and she was cool and that was cool. Now I'm just Tess Vigland and I have no idea what makes her worthy of (laughs) existing, right?
0: Except that she's a wonderful human being who loves to garden, travel, do photography, host dinner parties. (laughs) It took me a while
1: to figure that out. (laughs) Who cares
0: about all that stuff? I mean, if you don't have a cool job.
1: Yeah, but, you know, again, I I do think that in our society, you know, think about the last time you walked into a party, right, with people you didn't know. What's the first question they ask you or you ask them? What do you do? What do you do? When you don't have a good answer to that question, you start to, you know, have second thoughts about who you are. And that's not fair. And I will tell you that I do not ask that question anymore when I'm in a room of people that I don't know. Maybe I'll ask it 10 minutes into the conversation, 20 minutes into the conversation, but I will not make that the first thing that I ask anyone when I first meet them. And it's something that you have to train yourself to do because we're so used to it, again, especially in our society. So at that point, it's really all about your self-image. It's all about figuring out who you are outside of what you do. And that can be a long, drawn-out, protracted, horrible process. It's not easy. It's not fun. But on the other side of it, man, is it a relief.
0: What were some of the answers you came up with in the early days after you left Marketplace? Did you ever call yourself a consultant? Did you ever call your... Do, what um, were some of the easy no. answers you tried to get away with without having to explain yourself at a party?
1: <laughs> um, well, my answer to the question was, "Well, I used to be," right.
0: you know, yeah. and
1: and then I would go into what my f- former job was. Yes, and people, you know, maybe down the line they they would say, "Well, you said you used to. What do you, what do you do now?"
0: <laughs> God bless um, them.
1: But you know, I I could get away with. Telling stories about my, you know, twenty-five year career and all the cool things that I did because people are fascinated by it. So, you know, if we did get to the point where they would say, "Well, so what's uh, you said used to? What, what are you doing now?" You know, I was a freelancer, which is a terrible word because people look at you with pity. <laughs> Which they shouldn't because, you know, then I started calling myself an independent contractor, an independent producer. And for some reason, that did not prompt the looks of pity that freelancer does. So that's kind of how I started to get around it. And then I got a book deal. And so I was like, oh, I'm writing a book. And that's, you know, impressive enough, I suppose. But it is a, it's, it's something that you have to wrestle with when you make this sort of decision. And it can take, like I said, it can take a long time to figure out how you're going to identify yourself
0: again, we'll talk about the book in just a second, but as you're writing the book or just before you started writing the book, you started traveling pretty extensively. Is that correct?
1: Uh, no, that's actually after the book came out. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: So let's talk about the book. Let's talk about your vision quest. When I first, when I,
1: (laughs) my vision quest, Yes. (laughs) Okay.
0: excellent movie with Matthew Modine, as you might recall, (laughs) when I first saw that superhero, what's that?
1: I feel like it makes
0: me a superhero. I love it. I think we're all superheroes, uh, fighting our own, fighting the villains in our head. I like it. Yes. When I first saw the title of your book, now I noticed that it was written by a woman, so this was tempered. But the first reaction I had to leap was, "Oh, geez, here comes another Tim Ferriss, Gary Vaynerchuk-like guru <laughs> who's going to tell me to wake up at four in the morning, take an ice bath, and then crush it all day at my side hustle." Yep. But I'm like, wait a minute, this is a woman who worked at NPR is probably not going to lead with that. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I will tell
1: you as an aside that my publisher tried their first cover that they sent me for the book Mm. had a man with a briefcase on it.
0: Oh, for God's sake. Yeah. Was he in a gray flannel suit as well?
1: Uh, pretty much. Yeah. Or trench coat or something like
0: that. I mean, I was like, um, yeah, no. <laughs> I'm not Tim Ferris. <laughs> Tren- trench coats are very in these days. Um, <laughs> yeah. That love the symbolism there. Yeah. So my first reaction was, this is something about achieving your potential and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, I'm pretty skeptical of. Yep. And indeed in reading the book, it's not all about certainty. There's a lot of ambivalence and honesty and introspection and Doubt and on, you know, mm-hmm. in the book. So, how do you position something that isn't all about certainty in today's self help market?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I will tell you that my publisher envisioned this book as a career self help book. And I didn't know that until like halfway through writing it. I have always been of the opinion that if self help books worked, We wouldn't have entire libraries full of them. (laughs) And they they do sell. They do sell, however. They do sell, but, you know, there are so many of them that clearly people keep looking for answers that they're not getting. Mm. And I think a big part of that is because in our culture, we expect someone else to tell us what the answers are. Right. And it is very hard work to. Look at your own life and figure out what needs to change and then change it on your own. We like to be told how to do things. That was the case on the show that I hosted, the personal finance show, Mm -hmm. where people would call in and, you know, they would want specific answers to their finance questions, And they didn't want to be told, you know, here's a reference book to look at. Here's a video to go look at. They wanted to be told on the show exactly what to do so to fix their problem. And I don't think you learn anything by that. I think a lot of what brings you the greatest joy in life is figuring this stuff out. And I wasn't going to say stuff, but I'll say stuff. Figuring out your own stuff.
0: You can say whatever you want to say.
1: That's right. We're not on the radio. That's right. Figure out your own shit because it will teach you skills. It will teach you how to function and relying on a bunch of other people who do not know your own life, who do not know your circumstances and don't have your circumstances. It doesn't mean anything like for someone to tell you that you should learn XYZ in four hours. What? Mm. They have no idea what your day looks like. They have no idea how many children you have. They have no idea what other pressures you have in your life. You know, To me, it was much more important to share my story and share the stories of a lot of other people around the globe who contacted me after hearing my story and said, you know what? I've done this same thing and here's what it's been like for me. And, you know, the stories that are featured in my book are all completely different people. And they had, you know, a lot of different results of leaving a job without having plan B lined up. And I think that it's much more important for you to read those stories, to hear those stories, and allow them to inform your own education, rather than expecting someone to give you a prescription for how to live your life.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the things that I didn't anticipate when I left my job was how much I relied on the roadmap that my job gave me Mm. and how disconcerting it is to have to take responsibility for how you're going to create your own work reality.
1: Yeah. How did that manifest for you? What did your work life teach you that when you left it, you were like, oh yeah, no, that wasn't right.
0: Hey, I'm going to ask the questions here, Tess. Oh, say, sorry, sorry, I'm a reporter. I'm just kidding, (laughs) I'm just kidding. kidding. So how did that manifest? I'm not sure, I think it was just, it's a constant, I've been working on this for basically five years, full time, I've been gone for eight, but been working on this, trying to figure out the answer to the question. One of the most basic things that I think people don't anticipate before they leave their job is to figure out what they want. That is the most fundamental question each of us has to answer. And when we're in, we're experiencing some kind of pain or stress or desire to spend our life in some kind of a different way. When we're at a 70 or 80 hour a week job, you think I want to lose 20 pounds. I want to speak Italian. I want to spend more time with my kids, (laughs) you know, and and you overvalue the things that you don't have and you undervalue the things that you do have. And, Mm. and you make a trade and you realize, wow, I really miss my friends at work. Wow, I really kind of miss yes. being told what to do every day. I mean, yep. yeah, the, yep. the quarter-in, quarter-out sprint was a huge grind, but I knew where I stood.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, it was the same for me. You know, I, I mean, it was daily for me, right? I had a daily deadline. Mm. And for me, that was, you know, I mean, when the red light goes on and you're in the studio in front of the microphone <laughs> and talking to millions of people across the country, you better be ready. Yeah. And so I lived by a deadline my entire career, and then all of a sudden, I didn't have one. And I had f- no one expecting anything of me, and so I really struggled with trying to get anything done <laughs> because because I was like, well, you know, I could do that tomorrow, <laughs> whereas you know, in my career, I I couldn't wait till tomorrow ever. The news does not wait, so you know, it's a similar struggle, and it, you know, different. I think different industries will give you different struggles, but. It is when you leave a workplace that you're familiar with, you don't know what to expect. And I think you're totally right. You undervalue the things that, you, that you're good at, that you know, and you overvalue what you think you want to do.
0: Yeah. And then you realize you can't do it all. You know, even, even if you right. have all this time, it's like I can either dedicate myself to being great at comedy or I can learn Italian and spend a lot of time traveling. <laughs> and all, all over the world. You know, it's like, right, You right. kind of can't do both of them. I mean, you can't, you can do a lot of different things and you know, 40 hours, 80 hours a week to free up is a lot, but right. it's not everything. And you have to decide which of these things is the most important or which of the things do I want to invest my time in trying to achieve?
1: Yeah. And I think it's also a matter of what you want your life to look like, right? I mean, yeah, you could, you could concentrate on comedy for 40 hours and then, you know, I don't know, travel for 80. I just no, my math is wrong on that, but <laughs> you know, but but do you really want to? I mean, part of the point of stepping back, right? I mean, but you stepped back, I stepped back. We both stepped off massive ladders that we were on. And I think there is a pressure to find either the next rung or find another ladder and start climbing it really quickly, especially if you are, you know, over 40. But I really encourage people now, after my own experience, if you can and if you have prepared, particularly your finances, take some time to figure it out. I think people try to rush into that next thing and figure it out and put pressure on themselves for what they're going to do when, you know, just take some time for yourself. Um, even if you're say you decide that you want to be on LinkedIn or be on job boards for four hours a day while you're figuring out the next thing. Well, for another four hours or five hours, go do something you love, right? Go to a museum, go take a walk in the forest, do you know? Do whatever brings you some measure of joy instead of stressing out day in and day out over what's gonna come next. Because I think when you give yourself the space to sit with it, to sit with the uncertainty, which is exceedingly uncomfortable, yes, but it's good for you. You know once if if you get good at being in that zone of uncertainty, which I still am in seven years later, when you get good at that, you can handle almost anything. And it is a practice. It is something that that you need to think about on a daily basis and allow that feeling to wash over you. But people just, they don't give themselves the time. Maybe you can't take a long sabbatical like I did. But can you take half a day for a week? Can you take a month to give yourself some room, some time to breathe, to figure out what your next move is going to be? I really encourage people to do that because otherwise, otherwise you're just jumping into something that you just left. And what's the point of that?
0: So you got to go through the process of reinventing Tess. Where are you today? What does that look like today? And walk us through some of the steps you took to get there.
1: Oh, man. It's been a wild ride the last seven years. So after I left Marketplace, I freelanced. I'm sorry. I independent contracted. (laughs) Right,
0: of course. (laughs) Only losers freelance.
1: (laughs) Right, exactly. Um, For a couple of years. And um, I gave a speech that led to the book. So I wrote the book for a year and then marketed, you know, waited for marketing for a year. And then in August of 2015, the book came out. And at the time, I was also in the middle of my marriage ending, and so we were selling the house in Southern California. And so uh, I didn't have a full-time job. I didn't have a relationship. I never had children, and I didn't have you know an abode to take care of. And so I started thinking, wow, I have the time now to go and explore if I want to. And I've always had a wanderlust. But I had cut the strings on everything that was connecting me to my life up to that point. Not relationships, but you know, just uh, my life was no longer in a prescriptive mode, a life that you're supposed to live.
0: Few direct obligations.
1: Exactly. And I knew that that our house in Pasadena was probably going to sell for a decent patch of money. And so... You know, the personal finance host in me said, put it in a retirement fund. Mm. And then the person in me, the human in me was like, no, take that money and go on an adventure.
0: Let's go to Vegas. (laughs)
1: Let's go to Vietnam. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. So I decided that I was going to give myself a year to travel. Kind of like you were talking about earlier. I skipped the comedy part, but I just went traveling. Yeah, there you go. And I bought myself a one-way ticket to Vietnam, put all my shit in storage, and sorry, my stuff. No, my shit. And I left for Saigon with one suitcase, one backpack, and a photography bag. Lived in Saigon for about four months and made that a hub from which to travel to several different countries in the area. And then I moved to Bangkok because it was easier to live there as an expat. And I thought that I might spend maybe four months in Asia, go to Africa for four months and go to South America for four months and then come back and, you know, become an adult again and get a job and yada, yada, yada. And I forgot to come back. (laughs) And I ended up being gone for almost three years and I visited 20 countries in that time. Cool. And I learned how to scuba dive. (laughs) And I went on the adventure of a lifetime. And I am grateful beyond measure that I was able to do that and I never I never left asia I traveled from asia I went to places like jordan and australia and india but I lived in bangkok for two and a half years so I came back in august of 2018 and I will tell you that coming home was way harder than leaving and since then I've become kind of a podcast host for hire mm. if you ever want to leave you know your job I'd be happy to do it, um, but I now live this life that is, I'm working from home. Sometimes I work 40-hour work weeks. Um, sometimes I work 10-hour work week, and I love it. There are definitely times, and there have been times over the last seven years, when I've missed being in the newsroom, kind of like you said, you know, missed being in the office with all the people that you know, and there's kind of a buzz that's going on. Um, and I didn't know that this was what I wanted. I didn't know that this was kind of where I would end up. But here I am, and i I find joy in my life um, on a regular basis right now. I also work with animals. I volunteer for the local humane society, and I still travel, not a lot. but you know, for, <sighs> the biggest change for me is that I don't have a plan. Mm. I don't have that two year, five year ten year plan that you know we're all supposed to have. And I like it. You know, I'm partly able to do it because I don't have children. And I know that that is something that most people do have and restricts their ability to do things like this. Although I would argue that it doesn't completely restrict it. No. But, you know, for me, the biggest change has been, again, trusting my gut, going with it. The first part of that was leaving that dream job back in 2012. And ever since then, I've just learned how to pay attention to where my gut is leading me and so far it's going okay it might fall apart at any moment but if it does i know that i can function i know that i'll figure it out
0: so one of the things i learned when i left my by the way uh, you took your big trip to asia when i left my job i went to cincinnati for a weekend and it was uh, it was pretty spectacular um <laughs> but I didn't find myself in Cincinnati. I did. Oh, find I'm some sorry. Pretty well, exciting.
1: I didn't find myself in Asia, but I was not Did wasn't you think you were going myself. to? I wasn't
0: lost. <laughs> was there a sort of a. You mentioned the eat, pray, love phenomenon. No, oh, God. That wasn't uh, your experience over there. No, you weren't looking no. for a cathartic, romantic, uh, get it all out kind of thing in Asia?
1: No. I mean, I certainly did my share of getting it all out, but um, no, you know, I think that kind of thing has, again, created because it's you know it's kind of this it's in the self-help genre yes um it's created this expectation of what travel is supposed to look like especially for <laughs> yes. solo women right? right yeah and that's great for her that she had this wonderful adventure and you know it, yeah good for her but that doesn't mean that that's a prescription for everybody else But I think people think of it that way. And that's why I can constantly, while I was away, you know, get the jokes. Oh, you're on your Eat, Pray, Love tour. No, I'm not. Most vociferously
0: not. Well, a woman traveling alone is supposed to be on her Eat, Pray, Love thing. And a guy traveling alone is a creep, you know, (laughs) That's, yep. I traveled alone in Asia and I hadn't been awake in Asia for 30 minutes when some guy on a motorbike pulled over on the side and offered me all kinds of horrible things. And I was like, Oh, okay. That's who I am for the next three yeah. weeks. Good to know yeah. that.
1: But Unfortunately.
0: Totally. Unfortunately. So one of the things is, is I'm listening you tell me this, that like, it's all good and it's all okay. I know that ambition doesn't stop when you stop working, but when you take yourself off of the corporate ladder or the big time media ladder, your ambition doesn't stop. Your desire to contribute, to be recognized doesn't stop. How do you channel that energy now?
1: Well, I think it depends on how you define ambition. And the definition, I think for most of us is career ambition. Mm. It's climbing that ladder that I mentioned. Or if you're going to step off that ladder, you better climb up another one real quick. Yes. And my ambition doesn't look like that anymore, which is funny because you know a lot of, a lot of what I got out of my career, and I guess I'm not super proud of this, but I think it's pretty normal. When you're in broadcast, you have an ego. You know, I mean, you know, you've, you've got fans, you've got people who listen to you on a daily basis. You know, they recognize my voice in elevators. And so part of my ambition was to keep that going for myself throughout my career. Like I thrived on that. That's not the only thing I thrived on. I love the job itself, but it's, it's fun. Right. So I thought that that was something that I was going to need throughout my career, throughout my life. And it's the thing I missed quite a bit, was having that cool job, right? That job that everyone would recognize and be like, oh, wow, yeah, that's so cool. And so my ambition when I left Marketplace was to go to the next big thing. I kept trying to figure out what that was going to be. Because when you're at the top of your industry, it's hard to, it's hard to go another rung up, right? right yeah. And what I eventually settled into, particularly while I was traveling and since then, is that my ambition now is to have joy in my life in some way, shape, or form. I hope that I like the work that I'm doing. I'm not always going to love it. The work that I'm doing right now brings me pretty much no recognition, (laughs) very little, like public recognition.
0: The dogs like it.
1: Yeah, probably. And I don't care as much as I used to. I'm not going to say I don't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't care as much as I used to. And I'm doing, doing work that is not necessarily important, but it's satisfying for me right now. And I don't know how long I'm going to do it. Right. I mean, I'm totally open to the next thing that's going to come along, but a lot of people would argue that that's not ambition because I'm not pursuing. Mm. Right. And maybe Sometime uh, in the future, I will start pursuing again, but right now I have work coming to me that is fine. It's not terribly awesome, but it's good. And it's, you know, it pays me and I don't hate it. I'm actually, I'm painting this as worse than it is. It's actually very interesting projects, but it's not, I'm not on national air, right? Right. That's my point, but I'm okay with that. And That is not something you are supposed to say out loud, Yeah. that you are not in constant pursuit of that next awesome thing. And it's particularly hard when you've had that awesomeness and then you step back from it and people are like, oh, are you depressed? (laughs) No, I just choose right now in my life to take it a little slower, to have the time to go and volunteer multiple hours a week at the animal shelter like i have the luxury to do that and i'm not going to apologize for it even though it means that you know i'm not trying to get that next great anchor position maybe i will again you know i i really try not to be prescriptive for myself anymore it's a daily struggle it's ingrained in us it's in our dna practically from the time we're probably two i don't think we're born with it but in this country it was probably it it, it does become a thing Oh. And so you have to fight against it. Oh, we're conditioned. Fight. We're
0: conditioned from the earliest age to yeah, respond exactly. to accolades and to I mean like I was I was Nuts. thinking you said you you want to design your day to create as much joy as possible and I'm paraphrasing but first thing that came to mind was well how do you that would be fine as long as I knew I was getting more joy than my neighbor. That would be
1: <laughs> I would find satisfaction
0: in knowing that I was winning the joy game on my street. <laughs>
1: Paul, you might want to get some help.
0: <laughs> um, hey, I have the call map. It's good. It's working.
1: <laughs> Do you, so, so- no, I mean, no, you're right. It, it is it, that is absolutely it is absolutely part of our culture, and I think it's a sick part of our culture. It is, you know, it is equivalent of you know the money thing with keeping up with the Joneses. And I guess what I have really come to learn is that. I just, I. It is a daily struggle, but I've started to not care what anyone else thinks, and that is the hurdle of a lifetime. And I don't think that's necessarily just American. It's, you know, we we all worry about what other people think of us and what we're doing. And you know, I think especially when you have attained a certain level, and it drops off, that is not supposed to happen. And you're not supposed to be happy with that. And you're not supposed to be satisfied with that. But I don't care anymore what it's supposed to be. And I feel like I'm much
0: healthier for that. Have you tried waking up at four in the morning and taking an ice bath? Hell no. <laughs> it's funny. So all this that you're saying, the scoreboard of our society, is it's really hard to ignore. But knowing that I was talking to you today, I was reading my daily stoic email <laughs> uh, written by Ryan Holiday, who was a previous guest on the show. But he had a quote in today's email from Epictetus, who has one of the greatest names in uh, the Stoic world. And oh my goodness. the quote is this, if you are ever tempted to look for outside approval, realize that you have compromised your integrity. If you need a witness, be your own. Ooh, and I, I think like that. That's, you said it's not necessarily an American problem it's also not a modern problem. This is an ancient problem that humankind has been dealing with. Our ambition has been stuck in our head. Like if I'm not winning, then I'm not participating. If I'm not winning, then I'm losing. And that's, that is a self-defeating philosophy, whether it's money, career, anything.
1: But it's such a hard lesson to learn as evidenced by the fact that it's an ancient concern, right? Yeah. But I think it's worth the effort and I think it's worth the exercise. You know, it's everything from whether you're, as skinny as the girl next to you to, you know, the keeping up with the Joneses is your house nicer than the one next to you. And it's all bullshit. Like, why, <laughs> why, why do we care? I am making less money now than I used to. Now that is a mark of a loser. I don't care. I don't care because I'm constructing my life in a way that is satisfying to me. That brings me, if not joy, then at the very least it brings me a sense of satisfaction, a sense that I'm constructing my life in the way that it works for me. And, you know, sometimes I do struggle. I'm like, you know, I'm like, nobody's listening to the stuff that I'm working on right now. Cause it's all corporate. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I struggle with the fact that, you know, I live in a small apartment now and I used to have a really nice house in LA. Um, But I remind myself over and over and over again that A, I have so much autonomy now and it is a gift. And B, I have, especially over the last five years or so, really constructed my life in the way that I wanted to. Like you're not supposed to give yourself a three-year sabbatical and take off and not work, but I did. Yeah. And if you don't think that's cool, or if your friends don't think that's cool, I don't care. I had an amazing time, you know? So I just, I feel like we should stop apologizing for not having the life that, that we've told ourselves we're supposed to have, right? Because it's been, you know, badgered into us our entire lives. And then also, you know, you really have to learn that even though you think everyone outside of you is judging you, they're all worried about everybody else judging them. Like they're probably not thinking about you at all.
0: (laughs) No, they're not. Everybody's playing their own game in their own head all the time. Well, so what's the answer for everybody else out there who's seeking, who have good jobs and they're seeking balance and they want to, they want to quit, but you know, they're obligated. How would you suggest that they bring some balance into their lives without leaping necessarily?
1: Yeah. And you know, that's, that's not going to be the answer for everybody. I know I'm supposed to say it is, because then I'll sell books, but it's really not. That's right. um, you know, and it's, you know, again, you have to design your own life. And, you know, I would say the first thing for people who maybe are feeling a little bit restless, Maybe you're mid-career and you're wondering if this is all you're going to get to, same thing day in and day out. Maybe you're bored. I was really bored. Mm. Even though I had this amazing job, I was bored because I was covering the same stuff day in and day out, week in and week out. And I got really tired of it.
0: I didn't realize that until you said that in your book and I was like, it is kind of the same thing every day.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, the way I put it was there like six stories in personal finance and they just keep coming over and over and right, over again. Right, right. And I got really sick of those after mm-hmm. six years. So, you know, if you're bored, I think the best thing that you can do for yourself is to find an identity outside of the job that you're doing. And that can be anything from, you know, like me with animals. I have found that I, I just like, if I got a job completely outside of journalism, I would probably go work with animals at a shelter full-time and I didn't really know that until I started doing more of it after I left my job. You know, challenge yourself to pick up a skill that you didn't have before. For me, that was photography. I had never really picked up anything other than a, you know, a point and shoot and then a couple of years after I left my job, I People who told me that I took decent pictures. So I went and bought myself a nice camera.
0: You take beautiful um, pictures. I've seen them. Thank
1: you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I taught myself photography. I didn't take any classes. I just went out and I made it like at least a weekly practice and I just would go out and I would shoot and learn from that. And, you know, I would read blogs and I would read, you know, how to's and, but I did, I taught myself um, and I'm still teaching myself. So for me, that was really important to have an intellectual challenge that was outside of any kind of work zone, right? So it was challenging my brain in a way that it hadn't been challenged before. And it also got me, well, it got me outside. And it got me thinking of different ways to tell a story. My storytelling has always been the written word or the spoken word. And now I had to tell a story through photographs. So anything that expands your knowledge base, expands your skill base, even beyond what you're doing in your workaday life, I think that's really important so that you start having identities outside of what you do for a living. Mm. You know, if I can hammer this home, this is what I want people to hear, is that you have to figure out what your identity is outside of your job. Maybe that is, you know, teaching soccer to your kid and, and their friends. Maybe it's learning a musical instrument for you. Whatever it is, start finding that thing and make the time for it. You know, if you're in a job that's requiring you to work 100 hours a week, well, the, then you should leave. That's not <laughs> life. That is not a life. You get one shot at this thing that is life. And, you know, it's that old... We've all seen those quotes from people who are on their deathbeds. Who you know, the thing that the things that they talk about are not what they did for work. And I think it's really important to remember that and follow through on that and act on it. And it doesn't have to be complex. It doesn't have to be something that you feel like is impossible. Like for me, I, I tried learning a foreign language. You mentioned this earlier, and it's just I do I do not have the skill for it. So I was like, I dropped that, and that's when I picked up photography. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, don't don't feel like you have to do something that you're not enjoying and you're not good at. But find that thing that you can turn to if and when you do leave your career, your job, that you can say, okay, you know, this is my thing now, at least for a little while.
0: So Tess, I meet you at a party, and after I find the, <laughs> after I find the bar and the seven layer dip, <laughs> I ask you. So Tess, what do you do? How do you answer the question?
1: I'm going to turn it back to you and say, well, you know, I would actually really rather hear what you did last weekend. (laughs) I do. I do this. I'm not kidding. I do not answer the question and I do not ask the question. I explain it later on. And sometimes I will even have to say, I'll explain why I'm doing this later on. But (laughs) I'm I'm going to turn it back on you and instead ask you, like, where's the latest place that you traveled to that you thought was really interesting that I should know about? Like, I literally have a list of questions in my head that I will turn around and ask. But I will answer your question. I say that I'm an independent producer. Right. And that I help people design podcasts and I host podcasts and that I'm, you know, that I'm also working on writing a second book.
0: What can you tell us about that book?
1: It's going to be about my travels. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's going to be um, Eat, Drink, Sleep.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. (laughs) Tess, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to talk to you and to know you. Can you tell our audience where they can find out more about you and see your photographs?
1: Yeah, so I have a website that I kept while I was doing my travels and it's called Tess Untethered. Now, after I put that up, I was like, well, I don't want people to think like I'm mentally untethered, (laughs) But, (laughs) but it's really just all, you know, I cut all those strings on my life and so I was kind of untethered and I left. So you can find my photographs and a lot of my storytelling there, you know, and feel free to contact me on Twitter or friend me on Facebook, kind of anywhere and everywhere. I love talking to people about careers, about quitting, about travel, about kind of anything, anything you're curious about. I talked to strangers for a living for 25 years, so I'm pretty good at it.
0: Well, I've certainly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for taking the time to speak with this stranger. Her book is Leap, Leaving a Job with No Plan B to Find the Career in Life You Really Want. So if you're thinking about what you should be doing in your career or that next phase of your career, I highly recommend checking out Tess Vigeland's book. Tess, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Tess, for making time to be a part of the program. I enjoyed our conversation, and I can't wait to see what's next from you, even if it's just more dinner parties. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed what we're doing here at Crazy Money, please go ahead and take a second to rate and or review the show on whatever podcast app you're using to listen to these enjoyable conversations. You can find out more about what I'm up to, where I'm telling jokes live and in person at paulollinger.com or you can email me your ideas for new guests for Crazy Money at paul at crazymoneypodcast.com. That's paul at crazymoneypodcast.com. Thank you as always to Mr. Mike Carano in Los Angeles. Goodbye.